another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Lily Ray. And me, Dr. Marie Haynes. Thanks for joining me today, Lily. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to have my good friend Lily on podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about May's core update, which has not completely uh, rolled out as far as we know. Uh, at the time of recording this podcast, uh, Danny Sullivan has said that it's still rolling out. So we can't give a full, complete analysis of the update. But Lily and I have a bunch of observations that we're going to share. Um, Lily, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell the world what it is you do uh, in terms of SEO? And other sure. stuff, maybe too, because you're a cool person. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, my name is Lily Ray. I serve as the senior SEO director and head of organic research at an agency called Amsiv Digital. We're based in New York City. Um, that's where I normally live, but I travel a lot. Um, and we, I run an SEO team with a couple of other directors. We have about 30 plus people on the team now, um, many, many different clients in different industries. Um, you know, we do a lot of health and medical clients. We do a lot of e-commerce, um, like insurance, B2B, all, all kinds of different categories. And in the last few years, we've definitely developed um, an area of expertise, I would say, around like EAT and core updates, much like you, Marie, and, and your agency. Mm-hmm. Um, we do help a lot of clients with recovery and digging into the data, what happened, what we think they should do better. And so it's always very exciting for us when core updates roll out because it's a lot of like seeing how we're doing and what can be improved mm-hmm. upon. Yeah, that roller coaster is uh, something else. I always find whenever um, there's a core update announcement, I jump into my analytics and my initial thought is, oh no, uh, nothing's happening. <laughs> no clients are improving. And then and then we give it a few days and uh, and then we can see that, oh yeah, there's some good stuff going on here. Do you, do you find the same? Like, do you have that same stress of uh, initially? <laughs> yeah, it's funny whenever a core update is announced because it's like, like you, like we jump into analytics, we try to start looking at hourly performance and like, you know, we try to like make a big deal out of any little change that we see in in reality, you need to wait three days. So it's like, just exactly. (laughs) And then this core update too launched uh, at the same time as a long weekend in the US. And so a lot of sites would have traffic that's down or some sites up, but uh, for seasonal reasons, which makes things difficult, right? Yeah. Um, so I think we'll um, we'll talk about uh, a little bit. There's not a whole lot of SEO news this week. Um, for those who are listening, uh, you can catch our newsletter at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. And my team puts together all of the uh, the important stuff that happened in search. I pulled one thing out of, uh, of newsletter to talk about this week. And it was an announcement from Google about... Um, title tags, which I thought was fun because I know, Lily, you've had some uh, foray into uh, Google's use of AI in title tags. How's that going? I haven't been on top of that. How Have you noticed any new talk about, are they getting better? Yeah, I do think they've gotten a lot better. So that, that whole kind of snafu was last August um, where the industry was noticing a lot of titles are being overwritten. Google came out and said, like, we're refining this. Um, you know, it's going to be like a only like 85% or something of titles should be left as is. And I think that since they made that announcement, there's definitely a lot fewer titles that are being overwritten, but there's generally some types of titles that tend to get overwritten. So if you're like keyword stuffing too much or whatever, there's a lot of overwriting that's happening, but it's definitely leveled out since that big change. Yeah, I haven't seen as many people uh, sharing the funny example. Well, I mean, funny, but not funny if it's your business, right? The examples right. of title tags that uh, were kind of borked by uh, by Google. I don't know if that's because... Um, 
maybe Google's AI is getting better or uh, they've it's probably refined whatever it is that they're doing to, to rewrite title tags. This change that was announced this week is about title tags that have mixed languages. And so mm -hmm. uh, if you have the example that they gave was uh, if you have a page that's in Hindi and you have a title tag that is part Hindi and part English, uh, that Google may choose to rewrite it to be completely Hindi, uh, mm -hmm. because why would they show that to um, English searchers? So uh, I don't think that's massive news, uh, but I did think that it was something interesting um, because, you know, anytime Google rewrites our pages, there's uh, there's impact uh, from that. I remember you sharing last time we talked that um, some medical sites would have title tags rewritten uh, and maybe not be completely accurate, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's uh, that's scary, right? Because some teams, some uh, websites, their title tag changes have to go through legal teams, and uh, you know it's very important that they have good title tags that are accurate. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that that was a big um, concern that I had in the beginning because I've worked with pharmaceutical clients before, and it's very important that whatever we choose as the title is displayed 100% as is. And when that title change happened in August, I think the CDC, for example, I, I found a lot of examples where things were overwritten. And sometimes it was a little bit taken out of context compared to what the original title was. So that's obviously like not great. But mm -hmm. I think that Google has rolled back those types of changes pretty aggressively. So now we're not seeing that as much. Well, that's good. That's good. Well, let's talk about this May core update. So uh, like I said, uh, it's still um, now who knows by the time this recording is live, maybe it's done rolling out. Google said it was going to be one to two weeks. I believe we're around the two week mark now. Yeah. Uh, and we're still seeing a ton of turbulence uh, in the in the search results. Um, what are you finding? Are, do you track your clients, uh, their rankings daily? Like, can you tell if there's a, a big change? Yeah, I, I would say, and you know this already, but like not every site is affected by core updates. Some sites just kind of have are unimpacted. And I think a lot of people in the industry kind of say like, why does everybody make such a big deal out of core updates? And it's like, well, if your site doesn't feel the big impact, of course, it's not a big deal for you. But there are sites like the sites that you and I work on that see major volatility every time. So there's a few sites of ours that fall into that category where they see really big swings in one direction or the other whenever a core update happens. And we're really excited to see that some of the sites that we literally work exclusively on core update recovery, that's like the, why we were hired and what we focus on, are seeing some big gains with this core update. So that's always very rewarding. But again, like some sites are flat, some sites don't see too many impacts from it. Um, but I would say, and maybe we'll talk about this later, but like, this is a weird update because mm -hmm. um, normally I have different exercises that I do to try to find patterns and try to see if there's anything common that's happening with the affected sites. And this one's really all over the map in terms of mm -hmm. what's happening. But I would say the biggest takeaway that I've seen so far is intent switching from Google. Yes. So um, if a keyword is ambiguous in nature and the user didn't define a specific intent, like it's a head term that's transactional or something, there's a lot of different types of results that are ranking now. And that's tricky for clients because it's like, if we have an informational article and that's what we want to rank, if Google decided it's a commercial page that should rank now, mm -hmm. sorry, mm -hmm. we don't have one. We're, we're seeing that as well. Um, uh, we see all sorts of uh, terms where if we looked at it, we would say, oh yeah, this is a transactional term. 
um, as our, you know, my brain would say, yeah, somebody who searches this wants to buy this product. And then mm -hmm. what we're seeing is the search results changed uh, to show product review sites, which, yes. you know, not necessarily, I mean, you could say that's transactional because they usually have a link to uh, here's where you buy it, you know, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but a lot of the time they're really informational pages that Google's ranking. And so yeah. I think sometimes, you know, a lot of the tools will, um, mark search queries as, oh, this is a transactional query. This is a, a informational query. Um, but I don't think it's that black and white. You know, I, yeah. I think uh, what we think is not always what actually happens <laughs> in, yeah. in real life. Yeah, yeah so, I agree. And like, there's also yeah. like, um, like one example that I'm definitely seeing big changes and some of our clients are seeing big changes is, is insurance. So if you type certain types of car insurance, um, renter's insurance, like big head terms that are generally what we would call transactional. We're now seeing a lot more information in the, in the results competing with mm -hmm. some of the big insurance companies. So that's a big change. And that's frustrating because for the insurance companies, every position matters a lot. Like these are the mm -hmm. highest converting keywords, but now suddenly we're getting reviews of all the insurance companies in top positions. And that's a big change that I've seen from this update. Yeah, and those are hard to fix when there's an intent shift because we've had clients where we've said, all right, well, let's try to write some informational content then. But the informational content doesn't convert like exactly. uh, like the uh, transactional content that is filled with the proper CTAs and and all that. And so, um, and informational content, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not cheap to write good, uh, good informational content. So, yeah. um, you know, if you've lost rankings for hundreds of keywords that used to bring you in sales, uh, and now Google decides that, oh, no, most people want to read information instead of buy a product, um, yeah. that can, that can be challenging. Um, yeah. yeah, well, let's, Let's talk a little bit about EAT. <laughs> I'll probably put up uh, so those who are listening. Um, if you're listening on Spotify or uh, uh, any of the other uh, podcast apps, uh, this is also available on YouTube. Uh, it'll be out probably the day after uh, it comes out on Spotify. Um, and we'll have uh, some visuals up on there as well uh, for people to see. Um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm laughing because you know what I'm going to put up there. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm also laughing for the same reason. <laughs> <laughs> we have a GIF that was made uh, years ago. One of my team, uh, Andrew, made uh, a GIF of Lily and me saying, uh, you know, EAT, you down with EAT? Down. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to do it, Lily. It'd be too cringy. <laughs> but uh, it was good for a laugh, right? So Lily and I um, have been studying EAT as Google has described it uh, for many years now. I, I started in uh, 2017 was when I first uh, really um, got into this concept of EAT. Uh, for me, what happened was uh, I had a client that um, had medical content and they uh, saw ma major drops. Um, and so they came to me for uh, a fix as that's that's what we do as well as help sites recover from uh, core update hits and all other, uh, you know, kind of drops. And um, one of the things that I noticed when we were comparing pages of, well, here's who actually um, succeeded in your in your vertical was that uh, the pages that were winning had authors with expertise. Um, and so we, uh, you know, experimented with, uh, they went out and hired a bunch of medical authors, which was terribly expensive for them, um, but it paid off for them. And, and in that situation, they did really well. When did you first uh, start getting an idea of expertise, authoritativeness, trustworthiness? Yeah, it was more 2018. Um, it was actually around the time of the medic update. Before that, I was very focused on e-commerce, so this didn't come up as much. But in that situation, I think you know this because we, we met around that time. Um, we had a client that was doing so well for medical keywords, like too well 
um, and they weren't necessarily following <laughs> EAT best practices and the medic update destroyed that site. So mm -hmm. then it became a shift in our strategy to like, wait, we need to really focus on like good authoritative content, you know, medical reviewing, making sure this stuff is backed by medical consensus and all these things. And I'm really excited to see that that site is one of our biggest winners over the past couple of years. And they're benefiting from this update as well. So Excellent. this stuff, it works, but it takes a really long time. <laughs> Yeah. And I would say it works um, when you're working with like really good businesses. Uh, one yeah. of the things that uh, I've noticed in this update, I think even a little bit more than other updates, is uh, a lot of sites that were just created for the purpose of ranking uh, are, yeah. are, are struggling. You know, sites that they say, well, we're doing everything right. You know, we've got everything technical in place and we've got really good content, um, but they're legitimately not written by people with uh, expertise, you know? Yeah. And I think Google's getting better at recognizing um, sometimes which content is uh, expert written, but sometimes which queries require an expert written uh, answer, which maybe I'm jumping ahead. I think that's talking about the uh, intent shifts. Let's talk yeah. about this article that uh, was published recently on Friends of Search. Uh, you wrote an article about EAT. Uh, I love this quote where you said, EAT is a hard concept to grasp and even harder to optimize for, but understanding that it should serve as the backbone to all SEO activities is crucial especially for YMYL sites. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, that's a, do you want to expand on that at all? Or that, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because we just talked about like our experience with it and our history with it. But to your point, it, Google's getting a lot more sophisticated with this concept over time. And I think factoring these concepts into the algorithms. So like one example of something that we work with on clients a lot is like identifying where they do have EAT or demonstrated EAT and understanding that they're probably not going to be able to rank outside of that wheelhouse very well, especially mm -hmm. if it's on your money, your life topic. So one of the things we dive into with EAT analyses is like, you know, maybe this is a site that talks about all these different topics, but they don't have authoritativeness on all these topics. And we can see with the data, they do really well when they talk about these things. They aren't able to do as well in these things. So that can kind of inform like what your content strategy should look like. Of mm -hmm. course, maybe you can break into these new areas, but it's going to take a really long time. So understanding where your site is, a, is an authority and understanding who the experts are that work at your company or that you can collaborate with, I think is the best approach to SEO nowadays because trying to rank for all the things is just not possible in most cases anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I love that idea of, um, you know, in the quality raters guidelines, EAT initially was synonymous with page quality. You remember yeah. there was an update to the, the quality raters guidelines a couple of years ago, and they changed a bunch of the places where they mentioned EAT to yeah. actual page quality, right? Um, and so I love that idea that you mentioned in the article about topical authority, that mm -hmm. uh, the more, so for example, you and I, uh, it's a little meta, but have topical authority on EAT. And yeah. naturally, as we publish our work, you know, as this podcast goes out, as, as you publish articles, um, that improves our, uh, the, the amount of content that we have that yeah. is, uh, talking on that, uh, topic. Um, so I don't think, I don't think people need to go out and create massive amounts of content. Um, right. I think it's very important to be high quality content. Uh, but I like that idea of stay in your lane and write what you know about what, what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. And I think I think that it's actually really fascinating to look at like you and me and like Glenn Gabe, for example, as examples of what EAT looks like, because one of the things that I think is most interesting is that when you publish an article or when I publish an article, we're generally going to be publishing on the same micro kind of topic within SEO, but like not to brag, but those two articles rank really well, really fast. And I've noticed mm -hmm. that a lot for my agency, Amps of Digital. When we write about SEO, even if it's not me necessarily, we rank really fast. 
Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that's EAT at work. Like when Google understands a domain to be authoritative on a given topic, that has weighting in and of itself from a ranking perspective where somebody that is writing about SEO for the first time or whatever, they're not gonna be able to rank that easily. And I think it's especially true, like for you, if you write about a core update, it's like, we know Marie, we trust her, she ranks, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's, I think that can be expanded to a lot of different categories, but the more that you do to build up your personal brand, I think that that carries a lot of weight in terms of how you can rank for certain topics. Exactly. Which is kind of like real life, right? Like you, yeah. you know, if I, if I'm looking for an accountant or something, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go to, to, uh, somebody who's known as a good accountant, you know, totally. not somebody who just wrote a good article about, uh, about accounting. So, um, so I, I, I always, uh, consider EAT to be, um, uh, approximating what you'd expect in real life, uh, yeah. you know, for the, for the most part, you had a, a quote in there that you said, it's not, enough to just build a niche site. Uh, the site has to be built with real expertise, not just rehashing what everyone else has already said on the topic. I think that's important because I asked for a bunch of examples on Twitter. I asked for people to send me examples of sites that had been hit by the core update. And a, a number, like a very large number of them were, uh, they were affiliate sites, but I don't think they were hit because they were affiliate sites. They were, you know, it's kind of like, again, me saying, oh, you know, I could, I could write content on this. Um, and even though I didn't have real life expertise, uh, I might in the past have been able to write excellent content. And if I'm a yeah. good SEO, I could maybe get links to it. Um, and, and things in the past that would make that rank. Uh, and now I'm finding uh, that a lot of sites that were hit with this May Core update um, were lacking real world expertise. Would you yeah. agree? Yes, I think that that's been true across the board. And it's actually not just the core updates, it's the product review updates as well. Um, sites that just take, you know, they create a site, they take a lot of the information that's already available online in some form or another, maybe they're pulling Amazon reviews or pulling Trustpilot reviews or whatever it is, and just rehashing that content. That's not a long-term successful strategy as much anymore compared to sites like I shared an example on Twitter last week about a tattoo website where literally like the artist and I wrote it together and the site has gone offline multiple times in the last five years, but it's currently benefiting from the update. It's currently ranking in featured snippets. What was the SEO strategy? The artist gave me the answers without using mm -hmm. any keyword, any SEO research. It was just his knowledge. And that's where I think the future of SEO is. It's like, if you write the correct answer because you have experience in the field, you have firsthand experience, you're creating anecdotes and advice and things that are based on your actual real life experience, Google is algorithmically be beginning to understand that. And I also think there's something to be said about if everybody else is linking to your resource because it has the expert information, maybe you don't even link out to anybody else. Like maybe you're not referencing authoritative sites because you are the authority. You're breaking the information. Not recommending that across the board as an SEO strategy, <laughs> but I'm noticing a lot of experts just provide firsthand information and they become the source that everybody else links to. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's definitely one way that Google evaluates expertise. It's interesting you say that because I, I was just thinking about some of the sites that I looked at that were uh, sent to me on Twitter where uh, they had paragraphs on their about page that said, I've been doing this for 10 years. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I think they're hearing the EAT advice saying, well, uh, you need to share that you've got ex like firsthand expertise in this. But then when I do research to find, well, 
who is this person? Uh, there's nobody else saying they've been doing this, um, yeah. which I, you know, so I would say if, because I don't want to be all doom and gloom for, uh, you know, people who are listening who maybe run a hobby site or a, a, an affiliate site. I do think you can build EAT. You know, I was yeah. a veterinarian before I was an SEO. And so, uh, you know, how did Google come to know me as um, somebody who has experience and, and can talk on certain SEO topics? Uh, it's yeah. because I just, threw myself into it and, and started learning. Um, and so I, I think, what would you say if you, let's say you had an affiliate site uh, on some hobby that you had uh, that you like, you know, but you're not known online for, um, you think that you could rank for that? I know it's kind of vague, right? Yeah, I think you can probably rank here and there, but I think a better approach would be to demonstrate why you are trusted and to try to start building that personal brand. Honestly, I think that's the direction that this is going in, especially the more your money, your life, the content tends to be. Um, I think that it's a really good exercise to like Jason Barnard's always talking about brand SERPs, for example, take the name of the author or the person that's writing the content and Google them and see what mm -hmm. Google knows about them. Because I would have to imagine Google's relying on its own database of information to understand how authoritative someone is. And I think one of the most interesting examples that just happened in our industry is Brody Clark, the SEO, has a, a carousel of articles. When you type Brody Clark, it's articles written by Brody Clark. And it's like search engine land, search engine roundtable, all the stuff that he's written for or whatever by Brody Clark. And it's that's not the same person that Google's showing in the knowledge graph. It's a different mm. Brody Clark. So that to me is evidence that Google is doing something with authors. That's not just the knowledge graph, but they're trying to identify who these people are and what they're experts in. So it's it's a good strategy for your users and probably for SEO and for all these other things. So make that part of your content strategy. Yeah. And I think I think the biggest thing uh, for being known as having EAT is to have other people recognize you online, totally. uh, you know, and so um, the biggest indication of that is links. Uh, so, you know, if I, if I wrote something and it got published, if you wrote something got published in search engine land uh, yeah. and, and they link to you, Although Barry, if Barry, you know, he probably would link with a no-followed link though, right? <laughs> probably, yeah. <That's laughs> but even then we have arguments about, you know, that link, um, The if it was followed, passes page rank, it's a signal, which Google has told us is closely related to authority and, and uh, trustworthiness, right? Totally. Um, but we also think that there are other components to being mentioned. Uh, and so if you got mentioned in search engine land and there was no link, um, I believe that that strengthens uh, connections in the knowledge graph, right? Yeah. Uh, there's been discussion lately about um, the whole uh, author rank, uh, mm -hmm. you know, thing. And why don't we talk about that? Like years ago, uh, author rank really came about, I I've talked about this in podcasts a lot, so I'm not going to um, uh, explain the whole thing, but um, Google asked us, told us that we could link to our Google Plus profile. And then when one of my articles was in the search results, we would see my picture next to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, uh, and people, you know, said, well, what is Google doing with this? And then Google took it away. Uh, and so people are like, no authorship or author rank or, you know, whatever word you want to put on it. No, that was of the past and it doesn't exist. Um, I think that uh, they learned from that experience. experience. They, I think they probably used machine learning to figure out what are the qualities of an expert author. Um, yes. You know, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, it's very interesting to look at the history of what Google's done from a technology standpoint with all these different updates to authorship 
trip over the years. And yes, they've also said things like we don't use authors as a ranking factor. Like there's, of course, there's all these different considerations that you need to kind of like read between the lines because it's to me very clear what they're trying to do. Of course they can't identify and pinpoint every single author that's physically impossible for anybody. And there's new people all the time. Mm -hmm. But I think that absolutely Google is trying to build out like understandings of authors as entities as much as they can, even if they're not in the knowledge graph, like the example with Brody Clark, he's not the knowledge graph Brody Clark, he's a different Brody Clark, but they know that he's an SEO author. So I think that like, even if Google isn't explicitly saying that we're doing this, it's pretty clear. And turns out when you do focus on this strategy, like you and I are with many of our clients, like it tends to, to pay for itself. So mm-hmm. it's worth investing mm-hmm. in, I think. Yeah, and I think I think one of the messages about EAT that got um, a little bit mixed, perhaps, or, or just muddled, uh, was this idea of author bios. Um, you know, because author bios had helped uh, many of my clients over the years, um, but it wasn't the author bio that uh, that did it, right? Um, so if you get uh, expert authors in uh, and actually legitimately have them review your content, uh, I believe that Google can tell whether uh, content is written in the language that an expert would write. You know. Yes. Um, and and yes, I do think that there are the knowledge graph. It's interesting where you were saying uh, Brody Clark wasn't in the knowledge graph. I had something just a, a few weeks ago where I was looking at myself <laughs> um, and uh, I don't have a knowledge graph. Um, if you query me in the knowledge graph tools, I'm not there. There's some muddled stuff between my company and, and me. And that's one of our projects is to is to work that out. We're always working <laughs> on clients instead of us. Um, and then Danny Sullivan replied uh, in, in this tweet thread, which was interesting because he wasn't even tagged in it, um, came mm. in to say, uh, essentially, uh, just because you're not um, seen in those tools that you you might be in the knowledge graph. That was my interpretation. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it up on the screen on YouTube. But um, I think that Google's got a knowledge graph that we can't query. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think it's growing all the time. Um, I don't know whether that's the knowledge vault uh, that yeah. we've talked about in the past, but um, and there was an interesting article a while back about the knowledge graph having a topic layer. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, but that's that's something that I, I find fascinating. I think it would be very easy for Google to say, well, this entity, Lily Ray, is skilled at this topic, SEO. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, 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 uh, I think that makes perfect sense. And so yeah. when somebody does a search uh, and Google recognizes that the intent of this search is to get expert level advice, Right. It makes sense that they would um, want to show something that comes from somebody who has expertise uh, you yeah. know, in the knowledge graph. So uh, yeah. th- this is all theory, though, but uh, I, it all connects to EAT. <laughs> yeah. And I think like the knowledge graph is just one of many tools at Google's disposal. So like we have to remember that Google also has YouTube. Google also has Google Maps. Google also has like Discover and the App Store and like all these different interconnected products where they can make connections between people. Like in a couple of my upcoming talks, I have some examples where the same company has a really strong YouTube presence and a really strong blog presence. And they get to rank the same guy that's in the video and his blog article rank one and two. And it's like, probably Google knows that it's the same guy, the same expert Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. providing content in different areas. So I think that regardless of whether that person's in the knowledge graph or not, they know it's an entity that's associated with that answer. So I think they're doing more than just looking at the knowledge graph. You made me think of something there because I was watching a YouTube video the other day uh, about YouTube using knowledge graphs to uh, to make uh, better recommendations for people. I'll link to that too because it was it was really really interesting. I think uh, there's a lot. I have a call this week with uh, um, 
roadie bros. He's a Fortnite uh, pro who uh, we're going to talk YouTube for a little bit because <laughs> <Love it. laughs> it's really, really interesting. Yeah, it's neat. To, uh, I, I think I really I think I, I'm, I'm fascinated by all this knowledge graph stuff. And, I, um, you know, I think Google's not going to share uh, tons because, well, for obvious reasons. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's talk. Uh, you shared on you've been sharing on Twitter a bunch of examples this week. Now, it's hard to talk examples when a core update is still rolling out uh, because, you know, sometimes things reverse. Uh, sometimes uh, things are very, very turbulent. Um, but let's uh, I, I, let's choose a couple of these examples. Do you want to um, maybe go through a couple and just share uh, what um, what yeah. your thoughts are? Yeah, so um, a few different things. Um, one that I think is interesting is Forbes and US News, which I'll group together for this exercise. Um, I think most of us are familiar with those sites. Um, what's interesting to me about them is that they haven't seen upticks like this with previous core updates in the past couple of years. This seems to be the first time when both of them are greatly benefiting in this way. And I dug into that a little bit and I noticed that in both examples, um, they have these informational pages. So for US News, it's cars.usnews.com. It's also, I wanna say like schools or you know universities or something.usnews.com. So they, they have these review pages that talk all about the cars objectively with ratings and specs and everything you could possibly wanna know. The pages are so long, you know what I mean? It's like thousands and thousands of words. Um, but they're objective, theoretically. They're presenting all the different cars that are available or all the different mm -hmm. things to consider. Um, Forbes does the same thing. So it's somewhat of a product review page, but it's collecting a lot of data objectively and giving the user information that they can't get on the manufacturer's site or you know, they're not gonna get when they go to one of those brands' websites. So this is the first time that we're seeing these sites ranking as well as they are for a lot of very, very high volume transactional terms that don't have you know, review modifiers or anything like that. So you have to imagine that Google probably has enough data to understand on the query level, you know, we're gonna change the types of results that people are seeing because it used to just be a bunch of the, the brands or the manufacturers, but we know people want these analyses, these like big, long, comprehensive, objective reviews of, of what people should consider before buying one. So that's happening on a bigger scale. And again, with insurance companies as well, we're seeing more of that mixed into the top results. So that's one thing happening. Um, TikTok is seeing a huge increase. A few of us yeah. have posted about that. I know Glenn yeah, Gabe posted awesome. about that as well. Um, what do you think's going on there? Yeah, I think um, that's another, I think probably intense shift. Obviously TikTok is growing across the board for everybody. So maybe Google understands like what I saw was when you type Starbucks or Will Smith or something, it's like TikTok is now ranking in much higher positions, hmm. their TikTok page. So we've seen this with social media sites in the past, but maybe it's just like, we know people want their TikTok profile. Um, and there's also video. You think that's, yeah, I feel like that's trying to make the search results more helpful. Like mm -hmm. if I was searching a celebrity, uh, I, and you know, you're doing your late night scrolling and <laughs> useless time on the phone. Um, I probably would end up on a TikTok page looking at their videos, right? Because yeah. uh, that's that's like a personal part of, uh, or their Instagram or something like that. Um, I think they're just recognizing uh, when that would be a more valuable thing for people to see. Um, yeah. And yeah, people's profile pages for TikTok um, kind of give you like tons of information about their lives that you wouldn't find in a blog article. 
Yeah. So yeah, that's it's interesting. just meeting meeting user expectations. It's updating the algorithms to better meet user expectations. If everybody's spending all their time on TikTok, TikTok is a very relevant result for a lot of these very high volume keywords. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, say here we talked a little bit about product reviews i i think that uh the the core updates are so similar to the product reviews updates um yes. i have theories about uh i mean if google is trying to evaluate the things that they ask us in their in their questions then they need to in some way uh be looking at the content you know um so traditional algorithms uh, the way that Google has ranked pages has been uh, with PageRank has been, you know, oh, these pages are relevant to this or are contain the query or a synonym or in some way are, are related. Um, but they they can't really the PageRank algorithm can't explain how Google could determine a lot of the things that they ask in those product review questions. So what I'm getting at is uh, is that you know, we've been talking a lot lately about semantic search, um, and semantic means understanding the understanding the language. And I think a lot of Google's advancements in um, search have come from understanding the query. Uh, yeah. But I really think that they're just bit by bit starting to understand some content. You know, yeah. um, and so uh, that's something we'll probably get into more uh, in the future. Um, just for people listening, I, I talked, uh, I can't remember which talk it was in now, but uh, a little bit about Microsoft Azure uh, and their, um, they're very, very open in their use of semantic search. Uh, and the reason why I'm mentioning it is uh, because what they say they do is uh, for the semantic search is they use their traditional algorithm to uh, get the list of um, sites that they would, or you know, pages that they would recommend. And then what they do is they use a semantic algorithm on the top 50 of those results. Yeah. And so in my mind, I could see that working for Google. You know, I could see Google saying, all right, well, PageRank gave us, uh, PageRank and all of the things that uh, go with it, um, give us these results. Now let's look and see, you know, which ones have expert authors, which ones have like whatever signals it is, whether it's EAT or relevancy, whatever signals are there, then Google can, uh, it's almost like an, an extra layer that they yeah. can uh, use. So I, I, I'm getting into more theory here. <laughs> we didn't plan to do this, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Any yeah. I mean, I th yeah, I think that that's, that's probably an accurate way of describing the situation. I think that there's, um, you know, more sophisticated algorithms at work, especially depending on what the query is. And I think one of the outcomes that we've, we've already talked about today with, with this update is on the query level, there seems to be this very nuanced set of results depending on what the query is. So you can type men's tennis shoes and then you can type men's basketball shoes and you might see a different breakdown of the types of mm -hmm. results that you're seeing right now. So like maybe in the past is a little more clear cut. You see five product results and then a few different product review sites or whatever but now it's a lot more nuanced maybe a product review site ranks number one for basketball shoes but number six for tennis shoes or whatever and i think that's an interesting outcome of this update because normally it's much more clear cut like yes. oh this product review site is doing so much better across the board but now we're seeing they're doing better for this query but not for that query and we have some big e-commerce sites that we're working on where they were ranking in very very top positions for these head transactional terms. And now we're seeing like, why is a product review site ranking number one and now they're number two? Oh, because Google determined people want to see reviews when they're looking at that more so than they want to directly buy it, you know, out of the box yep. or out of the gate. So that's 
one interesting outcome of this update, I think. Yeah. And I, I think that um, it's very hard to reverse engineer or analyze, like analyze and reverse engineer what Google's doing there, because I think that they're looking at intent on such a, t like a, a micro level of, um, uh, you know, not just transactional versus this. Like, I, I think there can be millions of intents. Uh, you know, I, I think that as SEOs, it's impossible for us to uh, to figure out um, exactly what Google is changing. I, I think there were there was a day years ago where we could say, oh yeah, you know, sites that had this issue uh, were hit. Or, mm -hmm. um, but now uh, as Google gets better at understanding relevancy, um, we have all sorts of sites that are way up for some queries and then way down for others. Yeah. And usually with core updates, like in the past, we would see, you know all across the board. Wow. Yes. Everything went up. Wow. Everything went down. Are you seeing the same that like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's been really difficult with this update because normally it's a lot easier to analyze when it's like this site is benefiting. Almost all their keywords are going up, but that's not the case to your point this time. Some are going down and some are going up. And to add to that, it almost feels like, I don't want to say Google's trying to confuse us because I'm sure there's a million other things that they're concerned with, but like, the SERP features with this update and the featured snippets with this update and the way that things get tracked in Search Console and the way that the SEO tracking tools evaluate rankings and what rankings mean, I feel like so much has changed in the yes. past month. I don't know if that's due to the core update or not, but like if you look at the results on mobile, it's like there's 20 different SERP features that are moving around before you even get to one organic result. So like, what does position one even mean anymore? And they're not even the same every time you do the search. Like, totally. you know, maybe you might see a product carousel and then the next time you do it, there's like something else there, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's it's very, very challenging to, if you're just looking at your organic rankings, uh, you know, the 10 blue links, like, especially if you're selling a product, I... I'm really, really, and we haven't even seen the full impact of mum yet. You know, yeah. I think when that comes out, uh, like everything that Google is doing um, focused on product sites is for a reason, you know, yeah. and I think we're in for a very, very big shakeup uh, amongst yeah. uh, uh, e-commerce sites soon, um, even more shakeup <laughs> than what we've yeah. had. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about, uh, I saw something in Google's official announcement about the May core update, which sounds like it's just nothing, but to me, it really struck me and I, I keep reading it. So I want, I want to read it out to people. Um, so they had this line that said core updates are designed to increase the overall relevancy of our search results and make them more helpful and useful for everyone. I, I think that's actually very, very significant. They're meant to improve relevancy. I mean, yes, every Google update was supposed to improve relevancy, but I think they're actually doing it now mm. um, and make them more helpful and useful for everyone. Uh, we, I'm going to share in weeks to come some examples, like once the update's finished rolling out and we, uh, the dust has settled. Um, but uh, some of them are that people are showing me are, uh, you know, look at my page that is doing everything right and look at this spammy looking page that outranked me. And when mm -hmm. I look at the page that looks spammy, it actually like has my answer faster. I, yeah. you know, and, and um, so I'm not saying write spammy pages, but I, I think a key to doing well in Google is to identify, all right, the searcher's intent for this query is this. How can I make it uh, the easiest for the searcher to find that on my page yeah. and to be, and to be satisfied with that answer? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, there's so many different types of enhancements in the in the SERPs now that like 
take you directly to what you need. You know, there's new updates with site links. There's obviously Google using scroll to text much more often with featured snippets. So maybe the spammy page to your point has like a, a more clear answer to the question in a mm -hmm. way that's easier for Google to just display that answer. Maybe you have that same information on your page, but it's not structured in a more uh, such a clear way. So yes. yeah, I think, um, and there's a lot of new updates as well with like SERP features where uh, to, you know, to the point about e-commerce, it's like Google has these new product thumbnails that just keep you on Google. And it's like, here's the product on Google and everything we know about it. And it doesn't actually go to the retailer's website, even though it's pulled from the retailer's website. So uh, it's, it's hard to track this one just because there's so many of these different variables happening all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, um, I want to read a bit of a long quote here from, uh, John Mueller. Um, I found this in uh, one of my team's uh, reports for our traffic drop assessments. And uh, I don't know how I hadn't seen it before because uh, it was it was a question in a Google Help Hangout where somebody was asking about a site that they'd been trying to recover from core update hits. And what they had been doing was technical fixes to improve overall uh, technical quality of the site, which is a, you know, it's a good thing to, to do. Um, and then also uh, working on their ad experience, which, you know, making sure that ads are not intrusive to, to, to readers. Uh, and then they had one other thing, um, I can't remember what it was, but it was something technical. And oh, I think they said they were improving the overall user experience, but they didn't say how they were doing that. And a core update came along. Um, and so if you've been hit by a core update, you generally need to see another core update before your improvements are recognized, right? Uh, and so uh, a core update came along and they saw like a little bit of improvement, but not much. And so the question to John was, is this it? You know, can we fixed everything technical we can? We've done all the, the right things in terms of SEO. So here's John's response. He said, with the core updates, we don't focus so much on just individual issues, but rather the relevance of the website overall. And that can include things like the usability, the ads on a page, but essentially it's the website overall. And usually that also means kind of focus on the con or the focus of the content, the way you're presenting things, the way you're making clear to users what's behind the content, what the sources are, all of these things. So that sounds like EAT, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Who, who's behind the content, um, what your sources are. It's not about, you know, have you linked out to uh, appropriate sources? It's more, have you convinced the reader that yeah. uh, that this is legitimate information? That's what I think. Yeah. Um, and then I'll just finish the quote. And uh, he says, just going in and changing everything around the content, I think you could probably get some improvements there. But essentially, if you really want Google to see your website as something significantly better, you probably also need to work on the content side. And at least from the focus point of view and think where uh, there may be low quality content, where might users be confused when they go to my website? And is that confusion something we can address with technical issues with UX changes? Or do we actually have to change some of the content that we present? Huh. That really struck me as profound because I think lots of people are trying to technically uh, fix their websites um, when it's the content itself, you know? And it's yeah. not like you need to go in and say, I have an expert author now, like you, you need to legitimately change it so that it's better for searchers, uh, which yeah. is tricky. Yeah. I think that that brings to mind one example that you've probably seen as well. And I've seen a lot of in the past few years that doesn't work despite how much business owners want it to work, which is to have 
informational content that actually promotes your product and service. Mm. So when you publish an article and it's like, you know, why do you need this type of legal service? This, you know, we happen to be the best at this and this and this and this. And from the business owner's perspective, it's like, obviously this is great content because we're trying to market this product to this person. But Google's like, we know your intent of that article is to sell something. And therefore it's not as objective as somebody who's just presenting the pros and cons of these services without selling anything. And it's very hard to tell a lot of business owners, you have to fundamentally change the content to not be selling your service. Like they don't want to have that content on their site. So I think that's a good example. And we see this sometimes with manual actions too, or like with medical manual actions and discover and Google news, where it's like, we know you're selling something, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So I think that Google's better at understanding the intent of the author as well. And truly objective content tends to win in most cases. Which is really tricky if you're the business that has yeah. the product, right? It's, you can't be objective. So, so uh, that's why I think sometimes um, Google says that when you're affected by a core update, there may be nothing you can do. Uh, yeah. But I mean, we've had many, many sites that uh, we've helped. So we know that that's uh, not the case for every site. Um, I've seen a lot of, and and this is theory here, but I've seen a lot of uh, pages that did well with this core update um, where I felt that there was just some different feature that was more helpful. Uh, One example somebody shared with me on Twitter was um, the query was uh, R&B wedding songs. And um, the page that he had a decent page, but um, the page that outranked him had a list of songs like front and center and a link to the YouTube video for the song. Right. So, and then his page had all of this like great information about the history of the song and, you know, all that, which is fascinating if I want to read an article about R and B songs, but if you put yourself in the shoes of somebody who did that search, I'm probably like, Oh yeah, I got to plan songs for my wedding. And I'd like R and B songs quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I want to hear it. And so um, that's not to say that now it's a ranking factor to have a list of things that link to YouTube, but that in that situation, I think was more helpful. And when Google says they want to find, you know, well, they said they want to make the search results more helpful, uh, but I think they're also looking for pages uh, that are more helpful. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, what do you think? about? Yeah. That? You just reminded me of something that comes up a lot in my audits, not to give away the secret sauce, but like, it's exactly what you just described where it's like the intent of this page is to provide a list of songs or whatever the case may be. But a lot of SEO history, like the way that we've done things is like, let's start by saying, what is an R&B song? Yes. What is the history of yes. R&B? Songs? It's like recipe sites, right? It's like all this history. And then the thing that they're actually looking for is at the bottom. If you mm-hmm. move the thing that people are looking for to the top, you're probably going to yes. see better performance. Cause it's like, Hey, I got what I'm looking for as soon as I landed on the page. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And a little, a good example of that would be maybe a table of contents for some, totally. some, some sites, not every site, uh, just whatever you can do to help the user uh, get to their, um, their answer faster. I think that can help. Uh, I, I often refer to uh, a study. I'll, I'll link to it from the Nielsen Norman group. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's about how people read on the web um, mm. because people don't read, you know, we don't sit down and read uh, like a novel on the web. You know, we're trying to skim and we're trying to find like, we all are so short on time. So we're right. trying to find our answer uh, as quickly as possible. Um, and I, I think that was a factor. 
when we when we talk, I don't think we'll get into great detail on this, but um, and maybe in future episodes, I might uh, flesh this out a bit more. I think that Google could be using machine learning to determine some of the weights uh, in the ranking system. Um, I'll link to uh, some interesting articles on uh, Search Engine Roundtable um, that talk about that as a, a possibility that Google could be using machine learning. Uh, Bing is very, very open about uh, the fact that uh, Glenn Gabe tweeted a while back that uh, Bing was very open about saying um, that machine learning determines a lot of the weights in their ranking system, and they don't even know what those uh, weights are. So uh, very, very interesting topic. Um, what do you think? Do you think Google's using machine learning? I think, I mean, I would defer to John on that one. It's too complex <laughs> for me to know. Exactly. Well, I think I think we've covered a lot. I have some other thoughts on the uh, the Maycore update, but we have lots of time to uh, to talk about those in future episodes. Lily, I want to thank you uh, for for this conversation. It's always so good to to chat with you, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, if people want to contact you, how can they do that? Twitter, Lily Ray NYC is always the best. Awesome. Same with me. Marie underscore Haynes is a, a good way to get me on Twitter. I opened up my DMs, which has been interesting. Uh, so if you, um, uh, I can't answer every SEO question, but if you're interested in hiring us, then that's a good way to get us. Uh, so thanks so much, everybody, for listening. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Bye.